finishing the BWI Daily Edition strong for the week, bringing in one of our heavy hitters, Greg Pickle, Blue White Illustrated. He's got some thoughts on Penn State football, and you're here because you love those thoughts on Penn State football. Greg, how you doing today, man? Good to see you. Yes, it's great to be Friday, not just because it's Friday, but it means we're almost one Saturday closer to Penn State, Wisconsin. So it's weird to feel like two full weeks of camp have been completed, but they're in the books, and I think we know more about the Nittany Lions today than we did back on August 7th. Yeah, and, and you're right. This is move-in weekend, by the way. So you got people streaming into Happy Valley now. Football season, whenever the, whenever the kids come back to town, it is always like you feel it in the air. You feel the anticipation of the fall in the air, and that's what we're talking about today is getting to know a little bit more as we're two weeks in, as you said, into the Penn State football training camp. Uh, and we've done a bunch of these here, giving you updates on what goes on after we see practice and we get to talk to the coaches after practice each week. And I got to tell you something. If you're watching this video, I want you to know we can see you. Now, I can't actually see your camera, but I know you're watching these videos. So if you're watching these videos and you haven't subscribed yet, do it. Don't just miss one, no random happenstance. I can see that a large number of people that are watching these videos and are coming back every single time. You haven't subscribed yet. Don't miss anything from Blue White Illustrated. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the like button because you might get great information like, I don't know, betting futures on a podcast with Greg Pickle, uh, Dave Eckert, and Ryan Snyder. I don't even I, I don't even bet Greg, and I love listening to that stuff. You guys did an awesome job with that podcast. Yeah, I appreciate it. And yes, please like, subscribe, listen to the podcast, the video, whether it's uh, yeah, it's anything. It's depth chart talk. It's updates from practice. It's position battle previews. We have it covered. T. Frank has it covered. It's good stuff. So yes, please hit those buttons. Leave us some feedback. We know people don't have a problem with that. Uh, let us know what you're thinking and how we can do better uh, moving forward. So let's get to Nick Tarburton. You had a chance to speak with him uh, after practice this week, and he, I thought, had some really interesting insights into the defensive end position and what's going on there. What were your general thoughts from what he had to say about uh, the defensive end position, the guys around him in training camp? Yeah, let me just start with him quick. And, you know, I, I don't root for Penn State. I don't root for players. But it's always nice when you see a guy who you met during your recruiting process overcome a ton of hardship to get to a point where he can fill a start despite injuries and despite things that kept him off the field that didn't let him develop in the way everyone thought he would and nick tarburton to be a guy now getting ready to step into i believe a starting role and a significant role for penn state with adisa isaac out of course it's just really cool to see the determination he had and the perseverance he had to get to this point, to not give up, to go through the rehab, to go through the off seasons of not being at full strength and watching teammates get to go through drills while he was off to decide doing rehab or what have you. So I just wanted to note that first, T. Frank, just the fact that it's a really great story. And I think he's going to be a really great player for Penn State this fall. And I think fans should know that this guy is the kind of player I think Penn State fans love to root for. Of course, they love to root for everyone that wears blue and white on Saturday and every day in between. But this is one of those guys who's special in the sense that he stuck to the plan and he has followed the Penn State way. And it's about to pay off in a pretty big way. People always love not only underdogs, but people that overcome adversity and with the injury history that he's had and overcoming that. Uh, it, it is, you're right, it's one of those stories, one of those situations you always root for. He talked a lot about his coaches uh, in both Dion Barnes and 
John Scott Jr. as the guys who are teaching him. I thought that was a really interesting conversation about how those guys both contrast and compare in their styles. What did he say that you thought stood out about you know those two coaches? Because on the on the recruiting trail, they have been superstars in the class of 2022. They have been getting a you know a high number of really really good commitments. But as coaches. And, and developing guys at the position. What did Nick have to say about about their coaching styles? Yeah, I mean, to sum it up, it's pretty clear that those two guys really work well together, which I don't think should surprise anybody. But Deion Barnes played at one time in the game of college football, and John Scott Jr. obviously played at a different time. You know, And so they have different techniques. They have different ways of handling various situations based on whether it's run or pass or inside rush or trying to hold the edge or whatever. So... I think they really work off each other well in the sense that maybe one guy's just not understanding something he's trying to be coached up on, and the other guy's able to slide in and say, look, and maybe explain it in a slightly different way, not change the terminology, not change John Scott Jr.'s uh, what he wants, but explain it in a way that maybe connects a little bit better with the player. I think everyone's experienced that in their work life or their hobby life, whatever. You just don't understand something. And then somebody else comes along and gives you a little bit of a different perspective and suddenly the switch come, you know, it clicks, everything clicks and you're off, right. Right, off running. And that was the impression I got with the way those two work together. You know, Dion Barnes is very technically sound. And I, I think he is just a tremendous asset to this staff. And, you know, the next question everyone always asks is, well, how are they going to keep him around? How, you know, once his time as yeah. a GA expires, what's going to happen? And we don't have a, a magic eight ball. I don't know, but I can guarantee you that James Franklin will do whatever it takes to keep this guy on his staff when that time comes. And we're obviously not there yet, but I know that's always the logical follow-up question people have is, well, what happens when his time ends, even though he has plenty of time uh, left here? So, yeah, it's been a really interesting relationship to learn about and a dynamic that I think is going to maybe solve some of the frustrations Penn State fans have had with the defensive line over the years in terms of they produced well, but maybe not in the biggest moments, or maybe the sack count wasn't always there. Something tells me these two guys may have finally put it all together with the ability to coach players on the field that may finally make everything happen that fans have been yearning for for quite some time. Yeah, yeah, and and some of the things that Nick talked about last night that I thought were interesting from from the football perspective of they're teaching him how to bend, how to not just have one move but have a counter, and those are all things that I think we hear about a lot but we never actually see consistently from the Penn State defensive ends as far as implementing those things on the football field. Because the last couple guys, and and just based off of NFL draft scouting, and if you look at all the general things that people have said about both Yutor Gross Matos and um, Jason Owe was that they were a bit raw when it came to their polish as pass rushers, which I, I think is funny because at a certain point, all rookies are pretty raw when it comes to their abilities. But when you mention that about a guy, that was a consistent thing. So imparting that knowledge and making those guys play above their station when it comes to their physical abilities by the technical side of things, that is something that if, if they can do that, you're absolutely right. That is going to raise that profile of those guys. And an interesting thing about what you mentioned with Dion Barnes and how do they keep him, even if they don't keep him and he goes on to be a successful defensive line coach somewhere else, while in the short term, that is ne- it's never good to le- lose good coaches. But if you yep. start building your profile as a place that can train and develop good coaches, 
you know, nothing draws a crowd like a crowd. So you're going to find better candidates the more you put good candidates out there. So it's always something to remember. If they've done a very good job of finding graduate assistants that have potential and developing them. So that pipeline should continue. But you're right. It's kind of like it's kind of like Micah Parsons and Jason Oway. You'd like to see some on-field results before that happens. Right. And that's exactly it. And that's why I think when you look at the, the conversation about guys being raw and maybe not being polished as, as they need to be. And again, maybe it's a little bit of preseason optimism on my part to think that that's what John Scott Jr. and Deion Barnes can really bring out of the guys that they have now. But at the same time, we want to talk about raw. Um, some of the players that Penn State's counting on this year at defensive end are going to be the definition of it because they don't have a lot of game experience in Jesse Lucchetta's place, uh, case rather. He was playing a lot of linebacker, obviously, over the course of his Penn State career so far. So Arnold Ebicady obviously is polished. He's an all AAC pick. He comes in and it's just blown everybody away with how good he is. Obviously, Nick Tarburton has flashed things a bit, uh, but he's been hurt and has not had this number of game snaps that maybe we thought he would at this point of his career. And then I think to move the conversation back to where you initially tried to uh, start it, which is a strength of mine, if you haven't noticed yet, I tend to take things in a direction that maybe aren't a plan. Um, I love it, though. I love it. We get we get the we get the tangents of thought where I think the truth really is. That's right. And you look at this group behind Tarburton, who to me at this point, and you'll tell me if you disagree, but to me, I think it's pretty clear that he's the first team guy opposite Arnold Ibikidi. I, I just don't see any way around it. There was a reason he spoke with the media on Wednesday night. There's a reason he's been so prominent uh, throughout the offseason. James Franklin's mentioned him a ton. Brent Pry has talked about him a lot. I mean, none of that's by mistake. This is a guy right. that his profile is is high right now in the Penn State program and with good reason. So that, I think, is settled. But to me, and we'll get into some of the names here in a second, I also, based on what he said and some other things we've heard, believe that we're starting to figure out what that rotation behind those two is going to look like. Yep. Yeah, and, and, and to your point, the names that mentioned are pretty consistent. Uh, and one that he mentioned was Smith Vilbert, and that's one guy that I think everyone who has followed Penn State recruiting is excited for because of everything you've heard about him from the size, the athleticism, the comparison to Yitor Grossmatos, those sort of things that kind of pricks your ear, that, that picks your ears up and it makes you uh, pay attention to there aren't, a guy, there aren't a lot of guys right now on the roster that have that profile that are close to playing. So what did he say about Smith Vilbert and did that make you feel like that was getting closer to being a reality of him getting closer to that, I guess, potential, if you want to call it that. Yeah, you know, uh, he was asked, Nick Tarbert was, to kind of go through some of the other defensive linemen who were standing out to him during practice. And he mentioned uh, Arnold Ebiketti-Kitty first, and then he went on to P.J. Mustafer. And then the third guy, and look, those two are obviously the first two names that are always going to come up in this conversation. <laughs> right, but, right. But Smith Vilbert was number three. And you can say and take it with a grain of salt and say that that doesn't matter. But again, just like when we're talking about a variety of things, just like when anyone's talking about uh, you know, things that stand out to them or that come to mind first, more often than not, the things that come to mind first are doing that for a reason because it's made an impression on you one way or the other, good or bad. In this case, it seems that Smith Vilbert has made a good impression on Nick Tarburton. And obviously that's a big deal because he is a guy who Penn State fans and, and obviously the team had a lot of hopes for that he could be able to quickly get on the field. And I don't want to get the cart too far ahead of the horse because, you know, again, he's going to experience things in the Big Ten and against Wisconsin and Auburn, whatever, for the first time that maybe he hasn't seen before. You know, he's going to see some kind of offensive line or blocking scheme that 
is going to be foreign to him on the field. That's just the way it works with his position. But if he can put the physical traits all together and has, I'm sure has enough of the, the mental stuff down to be able to be in a spot where he could be the second team defensive end, then you have to feel good about the fact that when you combine those two things, even if he is going to make mistakes, even if he is going to read things wrong, that happens. It's just the way it is. It's an accepted part of the game. He can overcome those with the physical side of it. So right. I'm excited to see what they can do with him. Brent Pride mentioned him pretty early on too, back at media day clearly a guy that is impressing in camp and when we talk about reserve players to watch he is absolutely one of them is that and and quick follow-up on that because this is always where I I'm kind of debating is are we hearing that name because we have to hear that name or are we hearing that name because he's making a difference because as we've talked about somebody has to be in this rotation Penn State always has more than two defensive ends that rotate into the lineup so is he just the next guy or is he really taking those those reps and those snaps how much how do you balance that yeah it's a great question i mean we haven't seen much live work any live work that i can recall so that's a tough thing to gauge at the moment based on what you know you can go off of what you hear and all that but i mean i know that and again if you missed a video go to the youtube page youtube.com slash blue white illustrated subscribe so you don't miss the videos in the future but i know you and nate had this kind of conversation with the receivers and Keandre uh, Lambert Smith and Cam Sullivan Brown, and you know those names came up. But are they there because they're three and four, and it's clear as day, or because nobody else is in the three four conversation? And I think right. that's what we're getting at here with with Smith Vilbert. Is he coming up so much because he's the best of the rest, and the rest aren't doing much, or is he separating himself from that group? And you know, again, I think that when we talk about Smith Gilbert, we have to remember that Hakeem Beeman's a guy who we saw him at defensive tackle back in the spring, and he was a, obviously a thin defensive tackle, and he's going to see time at end. And I think a lot of people have really, I'm one of them, have really high hopes for him this year to have a big season and put it all together and flash on game day. You know, I mean, Vanover's a guy that's been talked about a fair amount as a swing guy that could play both. I think Gilbert's in that conversation as well. And then what is the impact of Jesse Lucchetta? That's obviously the the biggest question mark to me is that you move this guy to defensive end. What did the coaches see to figure out that was the right move? Was it that they didn't feel like he was X, Y, or Z at linebacker and defensive end might be a better spot to capitalize on his strengths? Or was it th- the options they had there were so limited and, and so, I don't want to use the word unappealing, but so not ready for game day that right. they felt that they had to move this guy down there. Um, so that's what I think the questions that we don't have answers to yet, but we'll have uh, September 4th. And look, I, I guess I get a little long-winded here, but I guess the best thing is we can talk about it all we want on August uh, 20th, but they're playing Wisconsin September 4th. You know, we're not, they're not facing air raid here. So we're going to get a really good sense of where those guys are pretty quickly because Wisconsin's going to be willing to just go at them and say, Okay, we know what you uh, have there. We're going to probably stay away from every Kitty side, I would think, for the most part. Maybe not. But we're going to go at you. We are going to see what your ends are all about. And if you can hold the edge and all that. So we're going to find out quick enough. But, yeah, I think the picture's coming into focus based on the names that we're hearing more and more of through two weeks of camp and also what we heard back in the fall. But, again, obviously the big question is, why are we hearing those names? And we'll know soon enough, you know, exactly why that is the case. 
take a, a quick break. Want to get back to some more conversation and thoughts of the defensive end position of what we heard after practice from Nick Tarburton. I'm Thomas Frank Carr, host of the Blue White Illustrated Daily Edition. Greg Pickle, he's our reporter and recruiting insider. And if you want more information from him, one great place is Blue White Illustrated. I got some copies of this. I got to get to you, Greg, because uh, we've got these all about town. It is the latest edition. It's our uh, we had our training camp preview, which is still out. This is the middle of training camp where there's a bunch of great stuff in here, including recruiting information on one of Penn State's most historic recruiting classes. You can always get this. Uh, wherever you get your uh, newsstand, anything like that, and bluewhiteonline.com or by calling 800-421-7751. And an awesome thing going on right now, Greg, is there's this great deal for training camp. We're in the middle of training camp getting you ready for fall, so the fall camp special. You get two months free of Blue White Illustrated for signing up with the promo code BWI60. That takes you into the middle of the season. So you're getting a good chunk of the Penn State football season free, and you get interesting insight and inside information from guys like Greg, who's got some stuff up now at Blue White Illustrated, bwi.rivals.com. What do you have up today uh, on the site that people can get if they subscribe with the promo code BWI60? Yeah, so definitely check that out. We're hoping to have you, the listener, if you're not a subscriber or a member of the Lions Den or a member of our community at BWI, certainly use that code Join us today. There's plenty of stuff up uh, this week. We've covered all kinds of ground from the new Rivals 250 to obviously team news, practice photos to like, obviously the BWI Daily as well. So there's a story up today, Friday, August 20th. It kind of is my five thoughts from camp after two weeks. You know, what did I think based on what we thought we knew versus what we know now? Where have some opinions changed? Where have they not changed is another part of this. And that's kind of focused on the quarterbacks. You have to go read it to find out where I'm going there, though most people can probably put two and two together in that conversation. But, yeah, check it out, bwi.rivals.com. There's also a snippet, as we're talking about here, with the defensive line. And just the fact that, again, it feels like that, that rotation is coming into focus and the questions will be answered, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, in a short time. So we, we talked a little bit about Jesse Lucetta and his hybrid transition. I don't even know. I still, at this point, based on reports I've heard and some information, I still don't know what he is right now. And I don't think it's really clear yet what he is as far as, is he a linebacker that's playing defensive end, or is he now a defensive end that can play linebacker? We're still really up in the air about what his, what his base position is or how he is being used. Uh, Nick Tarburton did give us a little bit of an insight of what he is as far as a defensive end, because we have really never seen him rush from the from the edge as a passer. What did he say? Did he say anything that was interesting or stood out to you about Jesse Lucada at that position? Because he is truly one of the biggest unknowns to me on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, the, I'll just go pull the quote here quick so I can and give the accurate information. You know, he said he's very physical. He's quick off the edge. He brings some twitchiness. Uh, he said, obviously, it's pretty impressive with Jesse considering his size. And he knows the game of defense. He knows the schemes. All the things that uh, you would maybe expect him to say. But the one that stood out to me from Nick Tarbert, he says it's been a smooth transition for him. And he's doing really well. And, you know, Nick Tar Tarburton said that at the end of his answer, which to me is insightful because you can stop your answer at any point as a player, as a coach, as a person. You don't always have to take the extra step to really heap praise on a guy and say it's a smooth transition if it's not. Because he said plenty of good things about Luketa, maybe cliche things, but good things. 
pre- previously in that answer. So I thought that was notable. I mean, I think if if you made me pick which position he's going to be on September 4, I would say base position is defensive end who can also play linebacker. That's just my feeling at this point. I agree. Obviously, Brooks is in the middle of the defense, and we're going to see a lot of four-two-five and other sub packages with extra defensive backs, I think. So it makes sense to give Lucchetto as many reps there as possible at defensive end because if you're probably taking Ellis Brooks off the field on those clear passing downs or likely passing downs, anyway, there's no real reason to have Jesse Lucchetto working behind him if that is the case, which it appears to be. You might as well move him down, get him as many reps there as he can, and just see what happens. So, yeah. I, I mean, Lucchetto's not afraid to hit somebody. He's not afraid to take on a block. He's not afraid to try and disengage from a block. Those are all things that Penn State's defensive line and, of course, every defensive end needs. So that part of the game, I think, is there. It's just a matter of whether all the other, you know, fundamental stuff and game recognition stuff, if that's all there. But this isn't a rookie either. I mean, right. this guy's played a lot of football. I think it's somewhat – it's not an exact comparison. You can't draw a straight line to it. But, you know, it's somewhat similar to how Anthony Poindexter talks about Keaton Ellis moving from corner to safety and that – some of the stuff that he's being asked to do at safety is not different than what he was being asked to do at corner, especially with the way they seemingly want to use him. So yep. with Lucetta, it's not like he's never blitzed off the edge before. It's not like he's a, he's never engaged in offensive tackle at the line of scrimmage. So some of those things are there. And so a lot of those things he has seen happen in front of him, which you can only assume would help when he actually has to do it. So that's kind of how I look at it right now, that he's a defensive end primarily who can play linebacker if needed. And if this works for Penn State, it's going to really help strengthen that position group moving forward. A- absolutely. And and this is one thing that we talked about. And if you want to check it out earlier this week, we talked about the best case scenario for the Penn State depth chart. And to me, that is and what Nick Tarburton said confirmed what I said about Jesse Lucada a couple days ago is that it'd be best if he does work out at defensive end and that really is his primary position. And then you can move him around as a movable chess piece because uh, it doesn't really fit either way if he doesn't. And, and and the words that he used that kind of made me feel like this has a chance to work is twitchy athleticism because that's what Penn State needs at the defensive end position right now. It's one of the things that only... It's really what they lost with Adisa Isaac. It was that other speed rusher, a guy that has the ability to threaten tackles with that speed. And, and Jesse, as a linebacker, does bring more speed than you would typically have from a guy that is a big-body defensive end. But just like Keaton Ellis, who's a good tackler and a good rally-to-the-football guy in the flat, it's a little different when you're doing it at safety and you're playing in the box. It's a little different if you're blitzing on a line, if you're blitzing on a running back, than if you're actually having to beat a tackle with with pass-rushing moves and all those things we were talking about with Nick Tarburton. So I still, you know, that is the best-case scenario, and I'll be fascinated to see what Jesse Lucada can do with that because like, you, you've got to trust at this point Penn State's eye for talent and their ability to find people and put them in good positions. So until we see otherwise, I'm going to assume that this plan is going to work out and it is a good benefit that they're going to have a guy, another guy with that profile at the defensive end position. Um, anything else before we wrap up here? What, anything that stood out to you this week? I want to give you credit because you were talking about last time you were on 
that we would know a little bit more this week than we would last week based on the scrimmage and and the competition going on where they'd start to separate the two deep. Here we are. You're writing an article about knowing more than we did last week and having a little bit clearer picture. Any last thoughts on that as far as what you may know uh, this week that we didn't when we talked last week? Yeah, you know, I think obviously Brandon Smith is a guy who's just so impressive when you actually see him in person. So that's one thing that jumps out to me. Another thing is that, and it's actually something we don't know yet, and maybe it doesn't matter. I know everyone's tired of hearing about how does the line, the running back rotation shake out, who is the starting safety. Those two topics have been talked about endlessly since January, but it's the second, almost the last week of camp, and we don't know. And maybe it doesn't matter in that running back room. Maybe it truly is irrelevant who starts, who comes in second, who comes in third, how many guys play in a game. Maybe it is truly irrelevant, but it just feels like something you would like to have more clarity on at this point. And maybe we do. Maybe it's Noah Kane. Maybe there's no question. Maybe we should stop over there. I should stop overthinking it. But I'm overthinking it too. You're not the only one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it just it just feels like it'd be nice to have some finality there, I guess. Yeah. But they do have a week of camp left, so the world's not going to end. And they have arguably the best running back coach in America and Jaywan Sider. So you put your trust in that and just let it be what it is. The safety thing's a little bit more concerning to me. Just that, you know, we heard that the light was coming on for Tyler Rudolph and that some of these other guys were doing some nice things in practice. But, you know, Penn State, in the, in the games where it's really struggled or has lost late despite leading, tends to be they get beat deep over the top or they get held up uh, at the defensive line and then the safeties and corners are kind of left in no man's land. And they just need more turnovers back there, more game-changing plays and more, uh, I don't want to say routine plays, but, and I hate the term clutch plays, but more plays in the moments that matter most, whether it's the end of the half and you just scored to take a 14-10 lead and the other team's trying to drive and you want to take that lead in the halftime or whether it's the fourth quarter crunch time and, you know, you just went ahead and now the other team starts at their own 20 and how are you going to stop them from going 80 yards or, or 40 if they want to kick a field goal, whatever it might be. So that's the two things to me that I'm hoping we can get a little bit more insight on before game week is here. Greg Pickle, Blue White Illustrated with me today on the BWI Daily Edition. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. Greg, thanks for stopping by and imparting the wisdom and insight you've got over uh, at BWI.Rivals.com. Always great to have you. Always a pleasure. We'll talk again soon. As always, I know we talked about it two or three times, but the more you subscribe to the BWI Daily Edition and to our YouTube page, the more cool stuff we can do, the more we can expand our coverage. So make sure you hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and to YouTube.